This is the Terence and Emma podcast, all about relationships and seeing things differently. Well, welcome to the Terence and Emma podcast. Now, we are back again this week with Colleen Hurst, who is a well-respected clinical psychologist and family therapist. She has worked in the counselling industry for over 30 years. When it comes to relationship counselling, she's seen it all and saved a lot. And last week, we touched on a whole heap of different things with her. So if you missed that one, you need to actually go back and listen to that podcast. And I did bring up with her my issue that I have, I'm owning it, with Terrence and his dental floss that is absolutely everywhere. Use dental floss. So I love how you're owning an issue, which apparently is me. <laughs> no, so I'm saying you're it's, owning my, the- it's my issue. I'm just saying. But, um, but she did explain to you that it's about... You know what's behind you not picking it up is. your it's dental floss. It is. It's making sure that you feel your heard. Used dental floss. And would I be willing to change <laughs> to show my undying, unconditional love for you? Oh my goodness! You guys have been working on <laughs> this. We have been working on this. Every time I try and get a take home that I will use, but one take home that I left was as a cliffhanger last time. Colleen, you got five kids. You're about to have a gra- your first grandchild. So this is not something. This is just a theory. For you this has worked in practice of how to do relationships well for yourself and countless clients and and couples sex let's talk about this one (laughs) let's talk about this one because there's many expectations when it comes to sex uh, in different relationships and everyone has their own unique one Uh, when expectations are different it can cause a bit of conflict how do you navigate with this with couples but first I want to ask on a personal level when the cycle of passion does it come back after four kids Absolutely. The cycle of passion can come back. And the podcast is over. (laughs) Oh, it can come back. You didn't say does. You got to work it, T. You can't just like, hello, I've just banged out four babies. You got to like get your A game on. And what does that include? I'm not sure. I'll think about it. <laughs> exactly. What do you do when you don't know how to And for get... everyone listening, I am actually eight months pregnant right now. Let's talk about this. Um, when it comes to sex, I mean, is this a big reason why couples' relationships don't work well because of differences with expectations on sex? It's a really big issue. It's something that um, is a very common topic of conversation in the counselling room. One of the really terrible patterns that can sink into a relationship is guys have higher libido than women, generally, not always, yep. but generally. So a guy's um, desire for sex um, often eclipses a woman's desire for sex. For women, we have higher levels of oxytocin, which translates into maternal instincts. Mm. So we've got a very high bond with our children and protecting them. Um, so that we can also have something that happens where there's more of a, a separating, where that's mum and the kids and dad and work. So this divide can happen, particularly if the woman's at home being left to do most of the household tasks now just to clarify that doesn't happen in our household we share quite equally that's our us that's, that's, sure, that's sure. true because sure. i also I'd, work i'd love to make a comment about that before we finish today um so we've got these 
competing expectations. Now, one of the most common patterns that happens is for many men, and I'm not male, but part of their sense of feeling loved and validated is that their partner wants to have sex with them. In the surveys, we'll say that a guy's number one fantasy or desire is that his wife, his partner, would desire him sexually and would initiate lovemaking. So for many men, they feel quite let down that that doesn't happen. Now, for women, they can end up being left with the sense that their sexuality is a commodity that they have to service their husband's needs. So when men um, then become demanding and I want you to want sex and why don't you want to have sex, most women don't find that a turn on. Mm -hmm. So then it creates more of this sense of uh, his right is to have sex and my duty is to provide it. Now that is a precursor for significant difficulties in a relationship. So you don't recommend bringing out scriptures like let her breasts satisfy you and all that sort of stuff? Possibly not. No. I have not brought that up in counselling, no. Okay, just check. Oh my gosh. I I'm not yeah, I'm speechless. Keep going. <laughs> so this is a really common pattern. Now, if we don't address it early on, and sadly many Christian couple couples aren't good at addressing it because how embarrassing, how humiliating. Many women will end up feeling humiliated through lovemaking because they're not doing the things the way a husband might have expected that to happen. And many women are also feeling quite Um, depressed and used because all of that romance seems to be lacking when we're just really focusing on um, orgasm as the outcome. What we know about sexual intimacy is that the actual act of sex and orgasm should be 5% of our sexual contact. We need to be having a big chunk of sensuality, like 50% sensuality, which is about all of the caring responses and loving the partner, tuning into their page, all of that work about building the us. What makes my partner tick? Am I understanding what matters for them? So that's sensuality and it might be, babe, would you like a coffee in bed? Mm. Um, Let me bring the washing in. Oh gosh, you look gorgeous today. And then we should have 45% is sexuality, which might be more about the holding hands and the kissing and the, the, the cuddling up together. And then it can lead to sexual contact, you know, orgasm. But that's not... Uh, look, I'll say it's true. That's not I've, the end goal. Well, I, I must admit, I was quite surprised after having four kids that if I said, I'll change the nappy, to, I'll change this poo, I'll clean the toilet. <laughs> if I put on the apron, wash the dishes, clean the toilet, happy days. Which is actually quite surprising. So I'm actually agreeing with what you're saying. Quite surprising. Well, no, you would think (laughs) as a guy, initially I thought give her a foot massage, cuddle, all that sort of stuff is what's going to lead to the 5% of the intimacy, the the, the climax, so to speak. My love language is acts of service. Yes. We spoke about that in the very first podcast. So Mm. if you're not sure what uh, love languages are, you can listen to that. So when you said you're making sure that you're on the same page as your partner, does that mean that relationships should start with a bit of communication on what actually pleases me or what actually what is my page okay part one Mm -hmm. because (laughs) part two will be talking about what I want sexually part one should be about how do I emotionally and psychologically make it safe for my partner regardless of whether it's sexual contact talking about um, extended family talking about parenting how do I make it emotionally and psychologically safe that my partner can come to me and open up That's the environment and the culture that I want to create. Best way to do that, 
there's all these numbers for things. Three things to do that. The first one, get to know your partner, know their love maps. You two could sit down tonight and spend an hour telling each other things you don't know about each other because you can't possibly know everything. Mm. And so if I'm invested in trying to learn more and receive more from my partner and it's reciprocated, I'm creating this open dialogue. The connection between us is going to grow stronger. So number one is that the second thing is we need to share fondness, um, say nice things to each other, say thank you, build that culture of positive regard so that we're feeling safe with each other. We all like to be complimented. It mm. makes us feel good, promotes oxytocin, yes. makes us want to connect with the person who's being so nice to us. Okay, so, so number two is create a positive environment, saying nice things. You said number one was to find out about their love Learn. maps. Yeah. Love maps. The love map is what's the map that leads me to your heart. Oh, that's, that's so the map. good. And it isn't sex. Mm. No. <laughs> what's the map that leads me to your heart? It's actually, we don't have four kids because I always want sex. It's because Emma won't leave me alone. That, so it's, is, that is completely not true. <laughs> it's actually there the other way no around in this relationship. <gasps> Can I say on that topic, I, I want to I hear number three though. You said, you know, a conversation like the finding the way to their heart, like a, a deep conversation. So I, that's what I love, right? It doesn't always have to be a deep conversation. It can be what's your favourite band. Okay. Every what is your favorite thing. band? Oh, you don't know that. He doesn't. He doesn't ask questions. No, no, no. After ten no, no. years. No, no. Because <laughs> my 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 favorite band is actually Emma, because she's a oh, she's a musician. So you're please. my favorite band. No, <laughs> please. You, you used to love Kurt Cobain. I remember because she used I, to have Kurt Cobain pictures up at on her wall. I know you love R and B. I think I was fifteen then. <laughs> No, no, the only reason I ask is because she does. She loves the whole Beyonce. She loves the divas singing. But is there a band that you like, sweetheart? Really? You don't know? I'm asking. What's your answer? You probably don't know yourself. He could set this as homework. He's got to work yeah. it out. Well, she's I, thinking. No, I mean, I would say you too. They're amazing. Okay. See, I wouldn't have thought that. Mm. My, yes. Write that down. Remember it. <laughs> yes. You um, two for the 10-year anniversary will be playing as we walk into that hotel. Actually, Mary J. Blige, because I missed her. I'd even bought tickets, remember? I did. And I gave it up to go to a conference and I, I have all kinds of regrets. Anyway. You guys are just widening that road to your hearts. <laughs> I think that's a great concept because, you know, for us taking opportunities to do date nights and scheduling it because life happens mm -hmm. and especially when people are busy, most people are dinks, they're double income, no kids, so they're both working hard and they get home, they're tired or you might have kids and you're still working. So with most couples having that double income or trying to work or... How do you do the quality time together? Or is it something you have to schedule? Absolutely. It's life can fill up a room. You can fill up, busyness can fill up life like gas fills up a room. As much time as you've got, there's stuff in life that will capture that. So we actually have to schedule it, make, a, make it a priority. Schedule date nights. Grab half an hour. Have the things that the two of you like to do. Even if it's when the kids are in bed, someone buys a pizza and you have a blanket on the lounge room floor and a bottle of wine. Mm. So you can still make that intimacy happen without it needing to be a great big stage production. Back to, sorry, I know we're backtracking. Back to point one, and we still haven't heard point three. Yes. Back to point one. What, because I, I find myself in this situation, I love, I want to have like deep and meaningful conversations. Yes. Terence doesn't really do deep and meaningful. And I've asked him many times, tell me, I say, tell me a story about when you were a kid. I like hearing stories about when he was growing up. And he always says, 
I don't remember any. I don't remember what happened. That's the truth. Okay. So it's like, it's just like, I want to get to know more about him, but he doesn't seem to have any depth in that area. A really good, a really good way to do that. <laughs> Sorry, that sounded wrong. <laughs> no, it's so deep. You just haven't found it yet. That's all. Okay. How do I find Thanks, it? Thanks, Colleen. Thank you. <laughs> a really nice way to do that is rather than going back to tell me a story when you were five, tell me a story from last year and then tell me a story from two years ago and then tell me a story from five years ago. Step it backwards. I mean, it's a really good counselling tool. It's amazing how that stepped approach helps people to remember things. It doesn't have to be something deep from childhood yeah. it can be something special in your day today but it's actually being invested in getting to know each other it's not possible that you two know everything about each other there's more richness available to you if you spend the time to try and and find it that's good what about talking about <laughs> the future because i i especially my personality is a very visionary, let's go towards this dream, looking at the sunset together, running off to chase the dream, change the world and make it a better place. Is that good to share dream? Because if I don't remember the history so much, I can focus on the destiny. It's good to share dreams. Um, I think that's good to have some shared goals, some, some vision for the future. I think that's really important. Um, I think the precursor to that, though, is being really good at living in the now, mm. being really good at that, being really connected with my partner in the now. So what questions could I ask? Because I understand the questions I can ask, tell me about last year or tell me a story. What questions or conversations starters would you have to connect with the now? To connect with the now with somebody um, about how they're feeling about the relationship or what's the stuff that they would like to do on the weekend? What's the things that they enjoy the most? I think it's really, it's common everyday stuff. It's not the D&Ms. Mm. The D&Ms aren't the things that are the glue in a relationship. It's the surface level conversation is what's the glue in a relationship. Because sometimes D&Ms become exhausting and people want to avoid that. But if Say I Say that can, again. Somet sometimes, sometimes the well, DNA you wouldn't know because you have never actually had one, babe. Uh, okay, anyway, I want to hear point, point three. three. We're both going to the same place. <laughs> point three is about turn towards your partner, don't turn away from them. That your partner should be your go-to person. If there's stuff in your life that you just want to tell someone or something that happened today, something that's bugging you, something that was amazing, that silly car that you saw, that your your partner is your go-to person. One of the other problems that come into my counselling room is partners finding out from friends or relatives um, something that their husband or wife has decided to do. It's usually things their husband has decided to do, where often the wife finds things out by accident. And that sense of turning away from um, is not a healthy thing for a relationship. Those three things, John Gottman will say, creates the positive perspective, that foundation stuff mm -hmm. about honouring and valuing my partner. For me, I think it's back to 1 Corinthians 13. If I can build that in a lived experience. So give me those three again so I can write them down as one-liners. The building love maps, mm -hmm. get to know your partner because yep. that's, the, the, that's the road to their heart. Yep. Um, the second one um, is about fostering fondness and admir admiration, praise and, and saying compliments and good things to your partner. Mm. And then the third one is turn towards, don't turn away. Your partner should be your go-to person. 
You mentioned 1 Corinthians 13 a lot, which is obviously a biblical foundation for relationships. But sometimes I've heard it perpetuated in different circles that Christian marriages uh, have the same negative stats of breakup like non-Christian marriages. Is no, that true? no, no, not at all. Not true at all. Mm. Um, Christian marriages, I don't have the stats offhand, but we know that most marriages succeed and that we know that the divorce rate is declining. Um, and so Christian marriages... There's, Many, many, many studies will say that Christian marriages um, have a much better outcome. And I think that's such good news because God's design is not flawed. Mm. And I think the cultural message is kind of trying to debunk the institution of marriage by perpetuating the myth that 50% of marriages end in divorce. It just isn't true. And we can send people out there to research that. And good luck finding a study mm. that actually says that. It's so helpful to hear that because sometimes you can perpetuate a lie because you've heard someone else say it, but yes. it's and it just yeah, it just it stops any hope for something going forward tomorrow where you'd like it to go because you think, Oh, I'm just one of the stats. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like that. I think we can create cultures of inclusion, cultures of safety, cultures of hope in our relationships where your relationship can feel like home. And that's what God has called us to do when he's called us out from our families of origin. We talked about it last time to create an us. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing with God's blessing on that. Do you have couples come in and one of them says what is the amount of times that a couple should be having sex each week um yes i will five. have five yeah, guys five. will say that and some and it's mainly men and i i'm i'm generalizing because of course there will be individual differences for everybody i think the australian national average for sex is two times a week when we're talking about intercourse um for some couples that would mean it's a lot less than that for some couples it's a lot more than that. I have seen couples who haven't had sex for decades. Um, decades. I have seen wow. some couples who've been married for 10 years, have never seen each other naked. Um, I've had some couples um, where the wife in particular, after five or however many years of marriage, hasn't achieved orgasm mm -hmm. um, and doesn't really understand how her body works. And so a lot of what we'll do in those situations is have lots of conversation and talk about you know what a clitoris is talk about what an orgasm is talk about um, the differences in arousal for men and women and I think Christians in particular we're not good at having that conversation God made our bodies it's not rude to say penis and vagina like it's not rude to say that <laughs> see babe I, I still blush thank goodness I'm black and you can't see what I blush <laughs> you, I was gonna say that's a great question I em. say see babe because he always teases me for you say what? Uh, uh, for you tease me for making up songs about vaginas, which probably I shouldn't mention. I might just edit this out of the whole podcast, actually. But it's funny. Anyway, moving on. Can I just make one other comment, just yes. cutting in? A few years ago, I spoke at a conference. It was a women's conference. And one of the questions that came up was around a man's right to demand sex and a woman's duty to provide that. Now, this was a Christian conference. And some of the women were talking about how their minister had advised that that was actually biblical Christian practice. And so for some of these women, understandably, they weren't feeling loved. Mm. They weren't feeling attracted to their partners. And some were young relationships where they were still developing an understanding of sexuality and, and how to make love and, and how to enjoy each other sexually. So all that does is shut down intimacy where 
women get scared because sex is all about what a man needs and not so much about what she needs. So we have to become better lovers. One of the things that I'll say in counselling when a guy is struggling that his wife isn't as interested in sex as he is, I will pose the question of how come he's such a bad lover? <laughs> he <Wow>. needs to <laughs> know. <laughs> My drop. <laughs> the scoop right there. Wow. So look, while you're dropping these truth bombs and while you're busting all these <laughs> myths, I want to ask you, because you mentioned something uh, while we were off air about, because one of the early tools that we learned in relationships to do well earlier in our counselling was active listening. So while someone's talking, don't just think about the next thing to say, but really listening and repeating back to them. But I was, I'm still quite shocked that you said that plays you know very low zero uh, well you said zero. zero i'm gonna say very low because it must say say what you said zero impact in changing you know the the state of a marriage because that's a good communication skill that's a really good communication skill to use in life but if we're talking about perpetual problems and people feeling not validated um you don't know the road to my heart you're not turning towards me all you ever do is criticize me Using that skill of active listening, um, like using the skill of doing the washing or whatever the skill might be, isn't going to resolve the underlying issue. So sometimes in marriage therapy, we get sent away to practice active listening and, you know, to summarize what my partner just said and feed that back and, and clarify if you got it right. Then it's the other person to say whatever they need to say. Um, the so, research says it doesn't make any difference. So what makes the biggest difference then? The biggest difference is those three things that we talked about that create Building the Building those love maps, fostering culture. that fondness yep. and praise and the great culture and if, turning to each other. Yes, yeah. If I do that, then I've got a climate in my relationship where it's so much safer mm. to then talk about what the issues are. And that's what the stats are. The only variable that predicts relationship stability and happiness is that positive climate in the relationship, which is where I feel safe you've got my back you're not out to prove i'm wrong you're out to build connection and partner with me and so active listening is a useful tool but it's not correlated with relationship success or problem resolution it's just a tool like empathy or feedback or any of communication skills now, on the topic of sex, which Terence so uh, lovingly brought up at the beginning of this podcast. Because sex should always be done lovingly. <laughs> Correct. I find, Bam. now I, I should clarify just for the benefit of my husband that I'm not referring to us, but I do find um, that Where are you I going? Where are you going? Talk to, <laughs> I talk to couples, uh, this has happened actually a few times now, and I know this is the anomaly to wait until you're married to have sex, but these couples have waited mm-hmm. and then... It's well each time I guess because I, I have the relationship with the woman they're coming to me asking for advice because they actually they don't they're not attracted to the husband and they don't want to have sex and he's not really doing it right and he's not making it pleasurable for her and she's yeah and and so they find themselves in this situation where she just doesn't want to have sex and it's causing conflict just we did send just the touch- husband yeah. to me babe send the husband to me and I'll give him a few little tips <laughs> well I ha- I actually have suggested that but she doesn't she feels like it would just hurt his ego too much you know I think there's a stigma sometimes about talking about this sort of stuff Colleen yes. and, and I mean can we break this because it only helps have you ever found it hindering when people come and talk to you to try and get help has it ever hindered the relationship versus helped it the ability just to talk about it and say oh, we're, we're struggling the sex isn't good or this absolutely. isn't working 
And I think the more we can have conversation about it, the more people can feel okay and relax. Mm. I think Christians generally don't have, I'm speaking generally again, good information about sex and, and sexual intimacy and how to please my partner. So when people are getting married and if they've been celibate up until that point, and remember women's testosterone is, is a lot higher in that in the early stages, when we're now coming into the, the first moment of lovemaking <laughs> for women to be aroused, we need to not feel anxious and stressed. So this is and highly men too. And stressful. Men too. Sure, but the reality is a guy can achieve an erection in something now, between four and eight seconds. A woman is not going to be aroused within between four and eight seconds. So even that arousal phase is really different between men and women. So often on in honeymoons, people are fumbling around how to make love and it doesn't work so well for women sometimes. So they end up with thrush on their honeymoon because they weren't aroused properly. Guys are trying to do the right thing, but they don't really understand how a, body, a woman's body works. A woman may have never experienced orgasm before and can think, wow, is this what sex is? This is pretty awful. So now she's got thrush for the honeymoon and it, it's painful even to urinate, let alone her yeah. husband wanting to come close to her and be intimate. So that sets a stage for some difficulties in relationship where understandably a woman's not that keen now because it wasn't that great. So we have to be able to talk about it and That's have sweet. some open conversation about it. You know the best piece of advice I got going into marriage is actually from my dad. He said, "You please her first, and then everything works out well." Hundred percent, really, yeah, really it, good I, advice. I, and although Emma probably is shocked thinking that came from my dad, but it's actually good well, advice. I've, I've known that for a while. I just try not to think about him saying it. <laughs> okay, but it, I'm glad that he did teach you that. But it's good because I think <laughs> if fathers don't talk to their sons about these things. Who will? We'll go and watch some show on yeah. Netflix, which is just like horrible when it comes to yeah. healthy relationships. And that's never going to please anybody or the... Culture will talk to us. And we have a very sexualized culture. And problems of premature ejaculation for men are real mm. because it's really easy for guys to be aroused just by walking down the street, mm. given some of the advertising and the way our culture is sexualized. Well, I always found, I mean, this might just be me, whenever I saw those ads for premature ejaculation, I started s- <laughs> You're like getting nervous, <laughs> talking, getting nervous about talking about it. About this. That's so funny. <laughs> but whenever I saw those ads, I always used to say to Emma, is that such a bad thing that a guy would be so aroused by you that, you know, he... he does his business early. I mean, I don't think it's something to be negatively looked upon. But yeah, but they're not pleasing the woman if, first. Yeah, but if they did, then they that wouldn't yeah, be an issue. Yeah, if they did, but someone needs to educate the male species. Well, here's to the education. Look, I, I do want to say, Colleen, <laughs> on if on the whole thought of when it comes to couples waiting, because I waited till I was married to have sex, and we made it waited till we were married to have uh, have sex. Sometimes in in uh, those situations, it can actually be the guy who gets performance anxiety. Oh, of course, of and, course. And I think to give that freedom for those listening to think, hey, as guys, this can happen yeah, where you've yes. you've been waiting for so long and so excited. It's oh wow, like, do you have to do that? <laughs> <laughs> too too descriptive. But it and, is a really. It's a really good point. You know, impotence yeah. or can't hold an erection. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, and it's, so there's, it's there's both ends of the yeah. spectrum. I yes. mean, I've spoken to guys. Uh, one of my friends, he just works so flipping hard. He says by the time he gets home, he's on, on the other end of the spectrum. He just doesn't have energy. He doesn't want to have yeah. sex. He's just like, just give me a beer. Let me sit down and watch some sport. Like, he just needs to wind down. How do you talk to those couples where it's the other way around where the woman is actually the one that wants sex and he's just like, I've got no energy. Either way that it goes, people need to make couple time. 
whether it's the guy whose libido is higher or the woman whose libido is higher. We need to have time to be together and time to have conversation. One of the other things that I think is useful is to understand how the sexual cycle works. You know, we'll have, we'll have arousal is kind of the beginning stage. And then that, that moves into excitement as we're becoming more aroused. And that's a nice feeling. Then we'll move into plateau. For some people, it's that plateau where everyone's feeling sexual energy now. For some people, that's where it stays. The, the spike in that is to achieve orgasm. Once someone achieves orgasm, then it's a quite a quick resolution, particularly for guys. Yes. So Sorry. what your dad was saying <laughs> about yes, about meeting your partner's need first, whoever it is who's faster yeah. at achieving orgasm. Well, and if you know that, then prioritize your partner's needs because mm. that's the cycle. The problem when we hit plateau and we just stay there guys will talk about physical symptoms you know you, you can get pain in your genitalia say that emma doesn't believe that's a fact she does it's not believe that thing. is true it is a real thing it's a real thing but it's also not emma's problem oh, <laughs> oh. i thought in marriage every problem is at us yeah it's an us so she can give you some kind words about how you might need to deal words, with that words words ain't gonna solve anything <laughs> Faith without works is dead. (laughs) Wow. So, yes, you need more faith that this will resolve. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. And for women, if they stay in plateau, then they can, uh, we can develop something called pelvic congestion syndrome, Mm -hmm. which is awful cramping and pain in your abdomen. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. So, for both of us, for men and women, it can be quite unpleasant if it's all about the other person. achieving their orgasm and now I'm left hanging because you're snoring next to me. So for men and women, it can go both ways. And I think it all comes back to what you continually refer back to, which is 1 Corinthians 13. I think the Bible is so prescriptive of what builds healthy relationships. If you would think about the other person more than yourself, then you find that you're both loving each other and going towards this goal of this love where you're not just thinking about you, you're thinking about them. Love is always outward focused. Absolutely. I remember one day early on in our marriage, our kids were quite small and I'm an acts of service person as well. And so husband's trying to get that. You know, some guys would come into counselling and say, I I did the dishes and I did the washing and I I didn't get sex anyway, so what's the point? They're kind of missing (laughs) what acts of service is about. But I remember this day, busy, busy, and my husband, he cleaned the house, he brought the washing in. I walked in, I'd been out. I know, I walked in and I just went, oh, baby, I want you now. And he was, whoa. (laughs) So it is that, you know, we talked about love maps, Mm. really understanding the road to my partner's heart. If I build what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about, and there's no feeling words in that passage. It's all about conscious love and behavior. And so if I can build that, then intimacy is going to increase. Of course, it's just naturally going to increase. Colleen, I, got to, I do have to pull you up on one thing because you sure. do the same thing that Emma does, which yes. is anytime you refer to a man, you go into this voice, which Sorry. makes the vo- man sound like he's a little bit learning impaired I, or retarded. I always get in trouble it's for like, doing this. Why does when Emma repeats me or takes me off, it's like... <laughs> 
First of all, <laughs> hey, men, we I did don't... not say that. She didn't do that. <laughs> she did. Men like. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of a chain in the, it, okay. change in the intonation of the I voice. I think maybe you're just sensitive to that because it's an a unresolved conflict in our marriage that I, I do, do re- that. I can do a relationship <laughs> repair and say, sorry if I did that. Oh, and it bothered you. This is perfect. I, I, two things I want to pull up. I just want to read that verse. I think sure. it's so helpful to understand what love is. First Corinthians 13 verse uh, 13 verse 4 starts, love is patient. Yeah. So relationships, if you are patient, love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. And that's the bit I think you were getting at where it's like, no, it's not just about demanding my own way. That's right. But it's about love would want to actually please the other person. It's not irritable. <clears throat> um, it, <laughs> it keeps no records of wrong, Terence, uh, or of being wrong. And it doesn't rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. And never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It always endures through every circumstance. Isn't that special? It is. If we can put that into practice, then we've nailed it. And every relationship researcher would agree. Mm. Even for non-Christian people, it really talks about that conscious love, that commitment, self-awareness, and putting the other person's needs as a priority. Because one of the things that our kids sometimes ask us is, what is love? And I think no matter who you are, whether a kid or an adult, you do want some clarification. What exactly is love? How do I fill this love tank? How do I make it to the destination of your love map? Well, be this is the key. Be patient, be kind, create that positive environment. Can I just add, though... So do you think, this hypothetically, if someone was maybe eight months pregnant, that perhaps they should just not have any pressure on them to... I'll, I'll answer that for you, Colleen. <laughs> uh, for yes. every man listening, can I just prepare you for marriage? We've got four children, so let's get a little bit of maths here. Uh, two months after, apparently you, there's no sex, uh, probably within two to three months off that because of hormones and, and sickness, there's no sex. So for each baby, let's say you've got about four to six months of no sex. I've had four kids. Usually for as long as you're breastfeeding because there's this hormone that goes... Oh, don't extend it. No, no. Into we, a woman's body, libido drops. Okay, well, let's say six See, months. Babe, so four children, me, that's, two, that's two years of no sex. So let's just break the myth right now since we're just bringing the truth bombs. There will be seasons where there's no sex. And in fact, I think that helps a relationship because if there's no sexual intimacy, then you learn to connect on different levels, spiritually, yeah. emotionally, and you can connect on the soul level, which I think is a great foundation. Is it for relationships? Yes, your relationship shouldn't be founded on orgasm. Mm. And how many times I get an orgasm and the quality of the orgasm. That's that's a very poor foundation for a relationship if it's all around me getting that buzz. So we're talking about foundations of relationship. And look, there's a lot of married couples. Most of the listening audience will be married couples. But what about those that are not? Uh, how can this help them prepare for marriage? Because, you know, for certain things to drive, you have to go and do a driving test. and But, you know, you don't do that for the rest of your life. But when it comes to marriage... It doesn't seem there's any test or preparation to prepare us for the no. most challenging, most awesome thing of our life. There's lots of pre-marriage courses around, but they don't get as much attendance as the courses to help people fix their problemed marriage. Mm. Part of the reason for that is when people are in that limerent stage or chemically, hormonally driven, remember people feel like nobody has a love like ours. We have the perfect relationship. We get on so well. We are going to be the, the gold star standard. And it isn't true. But when people are in that space, they will just, you know, smile and nod 
you know, that no, we're not going to have problems. You don't understand our relationship. So that's a tricky thing to get people to the point to recognize exactly what you said. You have to learn how to drive a car. Mm. There's real value in doing some marriage prep before you go into Mm. marriage. We are almost out of time, but we do just want to touch on before we finish up um, the issue of money. Because I was actually reading just the other day that this seems to be one of the main causes of fights, arguments among couples. And I'm sure as a marriage counsellor, you would have heard many issues amongst couples dealing with money. So Yeah, like when you get the, the um, PayPal notification come up on your phone that your wife's bought another dress for your little baby girl who doesn't even need another dress and she's bought this and bought that. But it's not it just for me, keeps, it's it just for her. Keeps popping up. But it was like $11, babe. Like, it's so cheap. What a bargain. I know. Oh. And, it was so, and it was so cute. Let me guess, she saved money because it was a bargain. That's right, because it was on special. Okay, I'll leave you two to continue this conversation. So can you tell us, first of all, what are some of the main issues when it comes to money and, and what's some advice that you give couples that come in? Money's power in our culture. So we need to work out who's going to be the primary financial controller because it makes sense for one person to be managing that. It can get messy. But in doing that, it needs to be completely transparent so that everybody knows what the finances are. Now, some people will have shared accounts or separate accounts. That's not so much the issue. It's around transparency. We also need to be really clear about what our goals are for saving and spending. You know, is it about buying things like buying a dress for your daughter or is it about buying experiences like going on a holiday? And we need to look at what's our priority and our value in that because it's not necessarily wrong to buy stuff and it's not necessarily wrong to want to have lots of experiences. But how do you manage that? The other thing in transparency is as you're stepping into a relationship, you need to understand, everyone needs to know what the financial situation is. I've had many couples, after they've married, they then find out about the partner's debt that now becomes a joint debt. That happened to us. Isn't that funny? (laughs) I didn't even tell her about this. Yes, that university uh, degree. Uh, And the credit card that I didn't know you had. To pay for the honeymoon. Yes, uh-huh. this happened to me. I didn't know till after we got married. And Actually, you did so. No, I didn't. And I'd worked, babe, and I'd worked really hard to come into marriage debt-free with savings. And I was, I was actually really surprised. But anyway, we worked it and out. It, it's a big issue, not just so much about the debt, but it then sows a seed of what else don't I know? Mm. What else are you keeping me from? We also need to do things. When we get married, we want to take joint action. We'll buy a house together. We'll get a credit card together. We'll have debt together. Now, even if that debt is for your partner buying their speedboat, car, motorbike, whatever it is, you both become the joint holders of that debt. So I'm just as equally liable for my husband's debt um, as he is for mine. So we need to really think that through as far as debt. The other big one with finances is when we look at domestic violence in relationship, financial abuse is one of the biggies. Really? Financial abuse? Absolutely. Where if we have someone who's being the power broker of the money, so you don't actually know what I'm earning, and I will give you housekeeping money every week, and I might give you a credit card with a small limit on it, it is one way of controlling people. And I've had women who've come in to see me where they've basically had to beg their husband for money to buy tampons because she's gone over the budget. 
So, and that can work the other way for men as well, where no, he can't even have, you know, $5 to buy a coffee because she's managing the budget. Now that sort of power and control, that that's really dangerous. It can erode. We talked about that safety and being an us. Mm. Money can draw power lines in a relationship. So transparency is healthy. So because for for us, Emma does most of the money management, or she did until this last baby. So she'd pay most of the bills. She'd organize the school kids' payment, etc. Uh, we'd have a holiday savings account, a car account. So you know, in case something goes with the car. So I was okay with Emma managing that. And we we've gone through seasons where she's earned more money than me, and that was like a real like, oh man, as a man, you think, oh. You know, when you're that beautiful and you're that talented, you can just, it's, it's I've had to Work learn. it, baby. Work it. I'm Earn working those it. dollars while I'm, you I'm, can. I'm walking into that love map right now. I'm walking <laughs> to that destination. But I think it's also understanding that in our culture, because generally speaking, if the man doesn't earn as much as the, the woman the for a season or even for the whole time, that can be quite challenging for a man's sense of value and masculinity. Have you ever yeah. experienced that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Some guys find that really difficult, that they feel like they're the kept man mm. and so they're a failure. For some men, it's great. I love it. You know, to be a stay-at-home <laughs> dad. But stay-at-home dads are the minority. You know, there's there's not very many where they're primarily – the primary breadwinner is the wife and the guy's just home with the kids. I think it's a changing trend, but it's still a little one. Mm. And so we need, again, the communication, the transparency, the open dialogue with that – because whoever's bringing the money in, that, that's not the mark of who's the boss of the relationship. Totally. And money doesn't make you a more valuable person because you have more of it. Our culture says that, but we know that's not the truth. We, we don't get weighed by the amount of money that we have in the bank or the money that we're bringing in every week. And I think it's great mm. how you said redefining us. So what works for us and being okay with being different. So for example, right now, um, generally speaking, so say I am the primary breadwinner, but being okay with Emma as the better manager of that for the household, not thinking that just because I earn it, I have to be the one that controls it. I think breaking that stigma that, you know, one person has to do everything. Yes. And I think it needs to be shared responsibility. Even if one person's doing it, it needs to be the other person has complete access and is supporting the other person because sometimes the financial controller feels the burden of everything's dumped on me and I've got the pressure of managing everything. So it's not even about I don't want you to know. It's I want you to know. Please help me with this. Get involved. What do you do when the financial controller's been embezzling money and has a plan B account? (laughs) (laughs) You tell your wife about it. What if that financial controller is your wife? And Please then, explain, Emma. And Please then explain. they surprise you with like a holiday because they were actually sifting away money to surprise you with a big present. So oh, really, that's so lovely. So really, it was a benefit. Oh. So you should have been happy I was the doing that. The truth of this story is when we went through a rough season in our marriage, our first year, we actually almost Emma killed each started other. a Plan B account. I did. I'll own it. I did. I also. Drew a vase at his head, but it missed. But which this is, is in our which, first year, which is, and we went to counselling. And that's when that well, disillusionment. I, I, and I, what was I thinking? I only found out year seven about this this plan B account, which is actually good because it actually we had earned some interest, and it was. Uh, and we went a on a really nice holiday. Big holiday. We were able to go private <laughs> for our third baby, so it, yeah. it was good. But which for me, it's it says that there is always hope, no matter how yes. bad you think a relationship is, and no matter how many plans you make to exit the relationship, there is hope for it to be reconciled and hope. 
for it to be restored. If you'll implement some of these things that Colleen has given us for building healthy relationships or having the transparency. And go back to the last podcast where we talk about the three foundations for that good, healthy, happy relationship. This was, I'm kind of going off script for this last question for me and Emma might have some final thoughts. What about those we've talked about when you before you get into a relationship about getting some some skills, getting some classes so it's more investment upfront versus trying to fix it at the end. Yes. We've talked about doing healthy relationships when you're in it, about repairing well. What about for unforeseen circumstances when a relationship ends prematurely, maybe because of breakup, divorce, or death? How sure. how do you deal with that where you've been so invested in someone where the two have become one? And it's like, how do you unscramble this egg now? Yeah, that that steps into a whole different a whole different area because trauma is part of life. Um, death is part of life. When people have an experience like what you've described, they're going to have some post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms. That's going to happen. There's going to be some grief and loss issues that happen. And people will talk about, um, as well as all of the bitterness or the, the anger or the sadness or everyone's experiences are very different, um, they will talk about how they're changed, that they're a different person now. And that is part of what happens. Um, and so that's that's a whole other area. People can recover from that. And well, because I, I talk about that because I have watched a few of those stupid shows on TV like Married at First Sight. And, and one of the things that I have noticed that really destroyed a lot. you're owning it, babe. I'm owning it. I have no choice because we only got one TV and that's my wife watches. <laughs> this but is the first series I've It is watched. the first series of watched. It, look, it was actually quite insightful for this reason, Colleen. I, I found... No couple in their right mind would want to have, you know, be in bed with their partner but have other partners come in their bed. Yet, we do that because we bring other people and other baggage into our relationship because yes. we haven't learned to deal with the trauma or deal with what happened. And so, I'm, for example, making Emma pay for what another girl might have done in previous relationships. How do we deal with those issues successfully so we can move on into a healthy relationship and not bring the past into the present? I see what you're asking. I think it's not about the individual event. It's not about the floss, for instance. It's about... (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) The two things that I look for in counselling with that, what was the triggering event? What what was the thing in your relationship that sparked that anger or that reaction? Let's identify the trigger. And then let's look at the theme. So what other things trigger this reaction from you? So what's the theme about? Ah, the theme seems to be about not being listened to, not being included, not being valued. Um, Whatever the theme is, that's what we work on. Okay, because I saw one of the girls on one of the shows, Mm, this guy, He all all he wanted to do was go to the gym. He wanted to go to the gym and he was texting on on Facebook or something and she blew up thinking, you're not engaged in the relationship. He like, he went to the gym, he did nothing else and because she feared the abandonment. What was this? Married at first sight. (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) babe. No, but my point is, okay, so what is the theme for, for her? The abandonment. Theme, okay, the theme not is being abandonment valued, and that yeah. was the trigger, him yeah. not and being... And I'm guessing she would have abandonment issues yeah, okay. where she's probably had some relationships where some bad things have happened and she hasn't felt valued, she hasn't been prioritised. Okay, so it's us thinking, okay, this has happened but it's not that person. It's And how do you deal... Sometimes you need someone else to help you see that because we're so caught in the moment that, no, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got to do with what you just did. But that's why we look for the trigger... And then other times when it's been triggered, what's the theme? Because you can put out spot fires 
from now to forever, but never actually put out the bushfire. I want you to sum up what you think. If you're going to leave us with one parting thought, what would it be, what would it be to do healthy relationships? Because what I hear is there is no greater love that we can show each other than the investment of I'll do whatever it takes to make this work, even if it's going to counselling and getting someone to open our eyes so we can see clearly some issues so that we can move forward. I think it's breaking the stigma so we can be free to know, hey, we can get help and help is okay. We don't want to be, you know, being alone and isolated in a relationship. That's that's such a double whammy of pain. So we really want to be doing those three things, I think, if we're going to have a take-home message. Those three things build that positive relationship. The positive relationship is the one variable that predicts longevity, stability and happiness. And those three things, find that path to your your partner's heart, those love maps, um, share fondness, praise, positive things. And the third one is make your partner your go-to person. You build that foundation. That is a prediction for a successful relationship. Colleen, thank you so much for your time. We so appreciate it. We have run out of time, but uh, you've given us so much wisdom. We are definitely going to take it all away and um, maybe I won't have to bring up the dental floss again. I don't know. What do you think? Because there won't be around the house. Well, as Colleen rightly put it, it is not the <laughs> issue. There is an underlying bushfire and the spot fire. If you want to find out more about Colleen, you can head to her website, which is... Yep, marylandscounselling.com.au. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Terence and Emma podcast all about relationships and seeing things differently. If you liked it, share the love and send it round and tune in again next time.